I've titled my sermon this morning, Worship as a Weapon. Worship as a Weapon. So I've been the worship pastor here for the past four years, and and I can honestly say it has been one of the greatest joys of my life, being able to lead you week after week after week before the throne of God in His presence in worship. And I believe that we have seen God do some amazing things in this church. Now, hopefully, every single one of you have had times of worship, moments with God, experiences with God, where you walked away going, wow, God, you are amazing. God, you are good. You are magnificent. And you are real. Now, maybe for some of you, you've had experiences, times of worship where you walked away going, wow, that was a little bizarre. Maybe, maybe you went to a church that was a little different than what you're used to. Uh, it just maybe wasn't your style. And you, you walked away going, that was odd. That was different. I remember there was this one time I was leading worship at this church. And as I was up there singing and leading worship, I noticed this guy got out of his seat and came directly toward me down the aisle. And so immediately I focused in on this guy because there was something about him that caught me off guard. And I noticed when I looked at him, I noticed that he wasn't wearing any socks or shoes. He was wearing shorts, had this hand towel wrapped around his waist and had a white button up. And I thought, that's a little odd, a little odd. And I'm thinking this as I'm leading worship. Okay, I thought, man, that's a little odd. Maybe it's just this new fashion trend that I'm not aware of. I'm behind on the times. But anyway, this guy comes up to the front. And as we continue worshiping, as we continue singing, this man starts to unbutton his shirt. And he takes his shirt off. Now, either people had their eyes closed Or they were looking up at the screens because nobody seemed to be doing anything about it. And I was trying to get the attention of the leadership team. I'm like, hey, this guy's getting naked in church. Let's 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 get this guy out of here. And so we just continue. We just continue. And as we continue worshiping, I look back at this guy. And he goes for his belt buckle. And starts to unbuckle his pants. And I'm thinking, I am not sticking around for this next series of events that, are, that is about to take place. So immediately I got off the stage and I got the attention of the leadership team and they gently and in love escorted this guy off to the side so that he wouldn't be a distraction for other people. I, believe it or not, I tell you that story for a reason. I tell you that story because so many of us have had times of worship where we've thought about worship and our thought has been, what is going on here? What are we all about? What do we expect to see happen when we gather together for worship? I mean, worship is this this great, vast subject. I mean, obviously, worship is more than us just singing a few songs before a good talk on a Sunday morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down in your bulletin. Worship is the whole of our lives given up to God in response to His initiating love. Worship is the whole of our lives, given up to God in response to His initiating love. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the Bible says that we love because Christ first loved us. So worship is simply our response to God first loving us. It's His initiating love, and worship is our response out of that. Worship affects the way we think. Worship affects the way we give our money away. It affects the way we love people, our priorities, our ambitions, really everything about us. And there's this one 
specific element of worship that I think is key for God's church to hear today. And that is, worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon against worry, against anxiety, against depression, against fear, against hard situations, against tough circumstances. Worship is a weapon. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. That's where we're going to be today. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's in the Old Testament. And as you're turning there, I'll give you some, give you some context. This is a story about the people of Judah, the nation of Judah, the land of Judah, which was led by King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat was 35 years old, and he was a king who tried to do right before God. For much of his reign, he was trying to protect the land of Judah from opposing armies who would try to come in and invade the land and steal the land and take possession of it. So here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we see this great army is coming down against the people of Judah and King Jehoshaphat. And it is not looking good for the people of Judah. So if you have your Bibles, would you please follow along with me, starting in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 20. It says, It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon, and others with them beside the Ammonites, they came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some men came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of all the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Just imagine this. You're the people of Judah. And you look out, and you see this great big army coming against you, coming toward you. This is probably the day that you're going to die. You're either going to die or you're going to be taken captive. Terrifying. But what does King Jehoshaphat choose to do? As this great big army, this great multitude is coming against him, he chooses to lift his eyes to Jesus. And he begins to worship him. And it's amazing to me that they they gather themselves around to remind them of who God is. Oh God, our Father in heaven, you're the ruler of all the kingdoms of all the nations. Power and might is in your hands. No one can can withstand you. And it's as if they began to find courage and strength and hope as they look to who God is. And as they worshiped God, their whole perspective on the situation changed. Their whole perspective changed. For many of us, We go through things in life, and it seems that those things can oftentimes knock the wind out of us. We can go through things in life that can be so debilitating at times. But it's in those times, church, that we can take hope and comfort in what Scripture says, that we worship a God, we serve a God who in our weakness, He is made stronger. Dealing with difficult situations at work, Pain within your family, disappointment, 
sickness, discouragement. Maybe for some of you, you feel like you have to limp your way in here every single Sunday morning because Monday through Saturday was just too difficult. One of the key things that we do when we worship is we lift our eyes up to Jesus. Where we say, Jesus, you're Lord. You're the ruler of all the kingdoms of all the nations. Power and might is in your hand. No one can withstand you. God, you are greater. You are mighty to save. Jesus, only Jesus. You are Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. And our perspective changes. I've shared this quote before. And it still resonates in my heart today. It's a quote from Corey Tenboom, Someone who knew what it was like to face opposition. She spent much of her life in a concentration camp. This is what she said. She said, when you look at the world, you'll be distressed. When you look at yourself, you'll be depressed. Oh, but if you look at God, you'll be at rest. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. And when we worship God as he commands us in spirit and in truth, we begin to find the rest, the peace, the love of God, and our whole perspective changes. That's why I love it when it moves on to verse 12, if you'll follow along. King Jehoshaphat says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. I remember when I was a sophomore in college. I was sitting in theology class. And I get a text from my aunt. Saying. You need to come home right now. Your dad's not doing too good. He hadn't died yet. But the cancer had pretty much taken over. And he was non-responsive at this point. And so. I'd gotten up and I got out of theology class and that three and a half hour trip from Lynchburg to here I probably made in two and a half hours because I was just so ready to come home and I didn't want to miss anything. And I remember walking through the doors of my house and there being, I remember there being like 40 people in my house. I'm like, why are there 40 people here? And there my dad was lying in the hospital bed in the middle of our living room And I remember having this this overwhelming feeling of not knowing what to do. I don't know what to do. I feel helpless in this moment. And I remember having a lot of like this nervous energy. So I remember just sitting down at the piano because I had to release it somehow. So I sat down at the piano and I just started playing worship songs. And our family, we just began to worship together. And we started to sing. I will rise when he calls my name. No more sorrow, no more pain. And I can tell you, in that moment, as we worship God together, our whole perspective changed on the situation. I don't know what to do, God. But my eyes are on you. I feel like For so much of my life, I'm in this point. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Talking with someone who's going through a a difficult situation, I don't know what to tell them. 
I don't know, I don't have all the words to say every time. But what I do know is I can lift my eyes to Jesus and get a whole new perspective on the situation. I don't know what to do, God, but my eyes are on you. Carrying on to verse 13. It says, Now all of Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benai, the son of Jael, the son of Matanya, a Levite. The Levites were the priests who ministered before God at this time. A Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but it is God's. That is some good news right there. And some of you, you can leave right now because that's all you need to hear. You need to know, that's the message that you need to hear for some of you, is that the battle is not yours. Whatever you're going through right now, the battle is not yours, but it is God's. So you can take heart in that. Look at verse 16. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still. Some translations say stand firm and see the salvation or the deliverance of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. This amazing story. This amazing moment right here. As God's spirit is poured out to Jehaziel. And he says, look, this is God's battle. This is not our fight. This is God's battle. So take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord before you. Sometimes we try to run around like crazy. We try to fix everything on our own. We try to keep all the plates spinning by ourselves. When we worship, we look to God. He reminds us it's not about me. It's not about us. I don't have to keep the world going on. Because he already does that. He's in control. We have two ways we view worship. Two ways we often view worship. One is as a task. It's just something that we do. It's something that we have to mark off the checklist. Like homework. Oh, I gotta go do this. I gotta, you're telling me I gotta go to church. You're telling me I gotta, I gotta go serve the poor. I gotta feed the homeless. Oh, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. Oh, I gotta go to this camp. I gotta go to this convention. I gotta serve in this area of ministry. Oh, you're telling me I gotta tithe and this Sunday I have to give above my tithe. I have to give an offering. Oh, it used to be that my quiet time was enough. Now you're telling me that I have to pray 24-7. I have to do this, that. And it becomes a checklist. We often view worship this way. And when we view worship this way, as a task, as something that we just have to do as a mechanic, we place ourselves at the center of worship. And that leads to one thing. Exhaustion. Exhaustion. We can view worship as a task, or we can view worship as a gift. As a gift. Something that we are invited into. You can only worship through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in Philippians 3.3, 3, it says, We who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. 
So as God's Spirit is poured out upon us and our eyes are opened to see our Heavenly Father, we realize that worship is not a task, but it's this amazing gift that we are invited into the communion of the Godhead three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in God's presence, suddenly we find that there is life, there is hope, there is joy. We are restored, we are replenished, we are given courage, we are envisioned, we are strengthened, we are raised up. Worship is this amazing gift that gives us life. I want to encourage every single one of you because you may be in here feeling exhausted trying to run around pleasing everybody. Maybe it's people at work. Maybe you're trying to please everyone in your family. Maybe it's people at church. And God wants to say to you, give it up to me. Give it up to me. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance that I have before you. The deliverance that I can give you. God wants to bless you. And God wants to do unbelievable things in your life. He wants to surprise you in so many ways where you go, Wow, God, you are real. Wow, God, you do exist. It's not going to happen by us just trying to work it up try to work harder. It's going to happen when we surrender our lives to God and when we just live a life of worship and we allow him to be God. Picking up the story in verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel, with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. Some versions say, Give thanks to the Lord, for His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 22. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them, And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. Nobody had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And there were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. This story has been blowing my mind. Think about this. The people of Judah, they look out among the desert and they see this great big army coming toward them. What do they do? They choose to place at the front lines the singers, the musicians, and the worshipers. If I'm King Jehoshaphat, 
I'm not going to put at the front of an army a bunch of over-emotional musicians. <laughs> I can just imagine them up there like, yeah, we're not built for combat at all. We're, we're, we're built to play music. And I, I wouldn't do that. I would put the most fierce, scary, huge men up there, at least to give a sense of slight intimidation, to show this army, look, we mean business too. We are a serious opponent. We are a formidable foe. I would be thinking less Barry Manilow and more Bear Grylls. You know what I mean? <laughs> to show them, look, we mean business too. We are intimidating. But no, God has spoken. And the people are obedient. And so they place at the front of an army the singers and the musicians. And I can just picture them going up there with their little triangles. And their cymbals. Maybe a little ukulele. And they're looking around at each other and they're going, yep, we are going to die. We are definitely going to die. So, since we're going to die, let's just enjoy this last little song together. And then, they close their eyes, and they quietly and tentatively begin to sing, Give thanks to the Lord, for steadfast love endures forever. And I just picture they're just waiting for the arrows and the spears to come in and take them out. But nothing. And they open their eyes. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And then suddenly they start to see this army is turning on each other. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Suddenly there's this full on fight breaking out amongst this army. They're killing each other. Bodies just lying on the floor. And by the end of it, I just picture they have this conga line going. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And then they finish. They finish. And they look out among the desert. And it's utter silence. All that lies before them are dead bodies. It's a bit gruesome, I know, but it's God's word. And it's one of the many things I actually love about God's word. I love Old Testament narrative. If you've read through Old Testament narrative, it reads like an action movie. It reads like a war movie. And I love war movies. So it makes sense that I love Old Testament narrative. Now, here we see the people of Judah, they have this incredible victory. Probably the greatest military victory that they had ever seen. And it was so great, they had done nothing except worship. Nothing except worship a holy and righteous God. The thing that has been so challenging to me in all of this, in this whole story, is that worship is many things, praise and adoration, but worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. And when we worship God, we begin to see the enemy defeated. When we worship, we see situations, circumstances change. When we worship, we see that we change. Worship is a weapon. You may be walking through some really difficult things in your life, challenging things in your life, and I know that some of you in here are. But when we worship as a weapon, 
we encounter God and he makes his presence known among, among us. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And as we've been drawn together today, I believe that God has been moving. And I believe that no matter what you're going through, God can give you a peace. God can give you rest. He can give you hope and strength in the midst of whatever you're facing. But also when we worship God, we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over my life. He is Lord over my family. He is Lord over this church. He is Lord over youth ministry. He is Lord over music ministry. He is Lord over Sunday mornings. He is Lord over Sunday nights. He is Lord over our men's ministry, over our women's ministry, over our Awana's program, over our children's program. He is Lord over our greeters. He is Lord over our parking lot crew. Jesus is Lord over all. He is Lord over this city. He is Lord over this state. He is Lord over this nation. He is Lord over this world. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over all. For some of you, you may have sickness in your family. Maybe someone you know has cancer. And you need to hear this morning, you need to know that cancer isn't Lord and that cancer doesn't have the final word. But that Jesus is Lord and His word is final. There may be some of you who are facing some serious financial persecution and you're sitting there wondering, how am I going to pay this next bill? You need to know that money isn't Lord and that money doesn't have the final word, but that Jesus is Lord and His word is final. For some of you, you may be facing opposition. Maybe it's opposition from people at work. Maybe it's opposition from people in your family. Maybe it's opposition from people even in this church. You need to know that opposition isn't Lord and that opposition does not have the final word, but that Jesus is Lord and his word is final. Jesus is Lord and his word is final. And when we worship God, we stand in the truth and in the certainty of that. Our worlds can spin so out of control. They can spin so out of control. But it's in those times that we can say, Jesus, I know that you're in control. You hold me, and you're victorious. Worship is a weapon because we know that Jesus has won. And that's why Paul shouts it out. Oh, and I picture he shouts this out. He doesn't just say this. He shouts this out in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Worship is a weapon, church, because Jesus has already won. And when we worship God, we begin to live out that victory. We step into God's kingdom here on earth. And that is why we see lives changed for Christ. That's why we see people change. I want to show you this picture of a man named Vedran Smelovich. He was the principal cellist for the opera house in Sarajevo. Now, many of you know that in the early 1990s, Sarajevo was bombarded and caught up in warfare. And this beautiful European city, which was known for its culture, its beauty, its art, suddenly became this living hell fire would rain down from the hills destroying many buildings and killing many, many people 
on the 27th of May in 1992, Smelovich was practicing his cello in his upstairs apartment when suddenly this loud explosion shook his entire building. So he looks out his window into the town square and had seen that a bomb had completely decimated the area, killing 22 men, women, and children. Men, women, and children who were going to the town square to pick up some groceries so that they could live. Something in him that day just snapped. He said, I've got to make a stand. I've got to do something about this. He said, but the only thing I know how to do is play music. So for the following 22 days, he would put on his tuxedo and grab his cello and he would go to these various ruined buildings and play his cello. And he would play this piece right here, Adagio in G minor. That's the only thing he knew how to do, how to make a stand. You can fade the music out here. He said in an interview, my cello is my weapon. My cello is my weapon. And I found that story as a beautiful picture of something of what happens when we worship God. As God's people in this church, in the midst of a ruined world around us, in the midst of a hurting and broken and dysfunctional world, and I don't think I need to tell you that we live in a broken, fractured, dysfunctional world, and we see things that happen all around us, we see tragic tragic things take place, our hearts should hurt for the things that happen around us. But it's in those times that we can step into something of beauty, something of hope, something of joy, something that cannot be contained, something that that cannot be oppressed or held down. And you know what the most beautiful thing about this is? We have something far greater than a cello. We have something far greater than a cello. You have the resurrected power of Jesus Christ alive in you. If only we live like that. That the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave lives in us. That he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. That it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we worship God, we step into all that God has for us. Worship is a weapon. It's why the psalmist says in Psalm 149.6, Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. Do you know that God has given you a sword? If you have your sword with you, hold it up. God has given you a sword. Amen. I love seeing that. I love looking out and seeing the body of Christ hold up their sword. Because we are in a battle. In Galatians 5, Paul talks about how that's a spiritual battle. But we are in a battle. And as God's people, we need to be serious. And we need to be equipped to make a stand ushering God's victory. It's not going to happen by us trying to work harder. It's going to happen when we surrender our lives to God and when we start to live a life of worship to Him. I want to end everything with with this story. There was a pastor of a church in Oregon in the early 1950s named Robert Cornwall. He was a church planner in Oregon and he struggled to get his church off the ground. Financially, he couldn't even provide for his family. So he got this part-time job at a 
at a hospital. And his boss at the hospital told him that he wanted him to spend some time in the psych ward. There were 36 patients in the psych ward. And so he said the very first time he walked down that psych ward, it was such a shock. Seeing all these cells that were padded, excrement all over the floors, vomit on the walls, just a very oppressive place to be. But his mission, his goal was to minister to these 36 patients. He said, I want to I do everything that I can to tell these patients about the love of Jesus. So, of course, he was this very nice, polite Christian leader. So he'd walk in, hey, nice to meet you. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Robert. Uh, I want to tell you about the love of Jesus. But they were having none of it. They rejected him. Big time. He tried everything he could think of to tell them, tell those patients about the love of Jesus. He got no response. Nothing. So he cried out, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do to minister to these patients? And God told him, just worship me. Just worship me. So he got down on his knees and he began to sing, Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Nothing happened. So he went home feeling really discouraged. He said, God, you told me just to worship you. They still didn't respond to me. So he goes back this second week. This time he was a little more excited to be there. He's like, okay, this time's going to be different. I'm going to go in. And I'm going to minister to these 36 patients. They're all going to get saved. The revival is going to break out. It's going to be awesome. He went in the second week and still nothing. They weren't having it. So he said, God, what do you want me to do? God, what should I do to minister to these patients? And God says, just worship me. So he got back down on his knees and began to sing. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Still nothing. He left that second week feeling very, very discouraged. He said, God, I can't even get my church off the ground. I can't provide for my family financially. I can't even minister to these 36 patients in the psych ward. I'm just really discouraged. So he went back in that third week, feeling so discouraged, he didn't even talk to anybody. He just immediately gets down on his knees and he begins to worship. And as he's worshiping, he sees this rather large lady walk toward him, and he said he thought she was about to take his head off. But to his astonishment and to his amazement, she got down on her knees right beside him. She began to sing. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Within six months of him visiting that psych ward, all of the patients were moved to self-help wards. And within a year, all of them were discharged from the hospital. In fact a number of them actually became core members of his church, which took, on the, took off the ground and got saved. Why did that happen? 
Why did that happen? Because worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. Because Jesus is alive. And Jesus is Lord. And when we look to Him, and when we worship Him, people change. And as we worship Him, circumstances change. Situations change. And our perspectives change. As I was praying for this morning, I had this picture of people holding this great big massive gift. And I'm pretty bummed because Rachel wrapped a gift for me and I left it in my office. So I'm bummed. I, had it up, I was going to have it up here. But I had this picture of, of people holding this great massive gift. And I feel like for so many of us, this gift, it's, it's a gift of relationship. And it's, it's this beautiful, beautifully wrapped gift with a bow and th- this beautiful gift of worship and relationship. And you're holding it and you're thinking, yeah, this is a great gift. But God is screaming at you, open it! Open it! You have no idea what I have for you. You have no idea the relationship that I want to give to you. You have no idea the fullness of life that I can give you if you simply worship me. Fix your life around me and allow me to give you strength, hope, joy, power in the midst of whatever you're facing. Because worship is a weapon. And as you begin to live a life of worship, as you begin to live a life centered on Christ, centered around Christ, I want to encourage you to find something every single day to fix your gaze on Christ, to fix your eyes on Christ. I don't know what it can be for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's like a little note card of, of a Bible verse that you just keep in your mirror. Maybe it's a worship song. I want to encourage you to find something tangible every single day that will help you fix your eyes on Christ. And as you begin to worship Him and live a life centered around Christ, I promise you, God will blow your mind. He will walk you through situations. He will walk you through pressurized situations and He will turn your pressure into peace. He will turn your pressure into peace. Think about like a a diamond. Okay, a diamond starts out as a rock and through heat and a pressurized situation that diamond becomes what it is, a beautiful, a beautiful, sparkly diamond. But it has to go through the heat and the pressurization. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, in order for us to become a good product, God has to allow us to walk through a tough process. But He walks through it with us. He can turn our pressure into peace. I promise you, as you live a life of worship, worship as a weapon. As you encounter God, God will make his presence known among you. And God will blow your mind. Worship is a weapon. There are times in our life where we don't know what to do. 
We don't know how to answer the situation. But our eyes are on you, God. Because we trust that you give us a whole new perspective. Let's pray together. God, we are humbled at the fact that you have given us this beautiful gift of worship. Worship is not just a task. It's not something that we just have to do. But worship is this amazing gift, God. And we know when we worship you as a weapon, we encounter you. You make your presence known among us. Worship is a weapon, God. God, this story just has been blowing my mind in 2 Chronicles. How the people of Judah saw their greatest military victory. And they had done nothing except worship you. God, I pray that we'll be able to take that into our own lives. And walk away with that. We love you so much, God. I just praise you for just so much, Lord, for walking through, walking through life with us in the good times and in the bad. You're still God. Lord, I pray that today we'll give up control to you. Lord, if there are people here that are holding on to pride Lord, that they just feel like they can run the world by themselves. God, I pray that today they'll be able to come to the altar and and give it up to you, that they'll be able to take up their position and stand firm and see the deliverance that you can provide for them. God, I pray all these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.